All right, well, um, I am really excited to be starting a new series today, and uh, it kind of, it revolves around this question, how to get what you really want. Not just what you want, what you really want. What you really, really want. You can tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Okay, there's my song reference for the message, mission accomplished. Um, But no, really, how, how do we get what we really want? Because there is a difference between what we want, what we say we want, or what we think we want, and what we really want, or what we ultimately want. Sometimes we don't know there's a difference, but there is. In fact, sometimes the things that we think we want are actually at odds with the things that we ultimately want. Just just to kind of tease that out a little bit, I mean, think about this. Here are some common things that we want, or categories of things that we want. The first thing that we want, that this is just like, this is born into us, we come out of the womb this way. What we want is our own way. We all, like, if you say you don't, you lie, okay? We all want our own way. There's just something like, I want it, I want it my way. I, I just do. Um, and, and, but the thing about that is, if we get that, and in fact, we could probably go around the room and just tell stories of this the whole time that we're here, but that would be sad. Um, is we could tell stories about times when because I got my own way, down the road, I ended up getting in my own way. Right, where it's like, I, I forced it, I demanded my own way, I powered up, or I manipulated, I, I kind of took advantage of a relationship, whatever it looked like, I got my own way. And then six months from now, or a year from now, or 10 years, I was like, shoot, because I got my way then, now like, I, there's a roadblock, I've burned that bridge, I'm in trouble. Similar to that, one of the other things that we want, not only do we want our own way, we just want to do what we want to do. I want to do what I want, when I want, where I want, how I want, with who I want. Like, we just want to do what we want to do. This is another one of those things that's just almost that we're just kind of born with. I want to do what I want to do. And the thing is, we think that's freedom, right? Like, ultimate freedom, perfect autonomy is just to say, I can do whatever I want because I have all these options. But the longer we do what we want to do, our options end up getting limited. Because I did what I wanted to do, now I can't do what I want to do, right? I did what I wanted to do then, and so now I don't have the options that, that I once did. You know, I wanted, I wanted to buy that thing last year or five years ago, and so now I want to do something else, but I can't because I'm carrying this mountain of debt around. I, I wanted this certain thing to happen in a relationship or whatever it was, and now I wish, man, I, I, I don't have, th- that relationship's gone, it's done, and, and I don't have that option anymore. I've limited my options. It's crazy because this is actually what, basically what we call punishment, it's this, do you realize that this is crazy? That nobody can actually make you do anything. The only thing that we can do is prevent people from doing things. Right? No one can force you to do anything, but ultimately, if you, if, if you keep doing what you want to do, ultimately, we're gonna take options away from you. This is called the criminal justice system, right? This is ultimately the extreme of that. It's jail. You did what you wanted to do, and so now we are severely limiting your options of what you can do. We want our own way. We want to do what we want to do. Here's a big one. We just want constant pleasure. It's just like, give me all the endorphins all the time, okay? Like, I just want to be here all the time. I, don't, I, I would be happy. I will be pleasurable. I just would be great. Like, just pursue pleasure, bigger, better, newer, shinier. And so that could look like I'm pursuing pleasure with uh, food, Guilty, okay, that's like, my yes, I love food. Uh, food, sex, vacations, travel, entertainment, whatever it is, it's like just whatever just brings pleasure all the time. And again, it's one of those tricky things where it's like, if I get that, ultimately, you know, the phrase, you know, too much of a good thing is a bad thing. 
It's like, well, yeah, because sometimes we get that thing that's, that we thought we really wanted that was nice for a season, but now that I have it and I've had it often, it's like, eh, I'm done with that. It's not, that's not that great anymore. I mean, I've, I've never made an impulse purchase, okay, of something that I had to have and I thought would bring me all this pleasure and then, eh, I'm done with it. I, I did not sell a smoker last week because I was like, eh, you know, I had to have it a couple years ago, but now not so much, just saying. Don't worry, I still have plenty. I'm just consolidating on the back porch, all right? I just got rid of one of them, all right? Right, because, but sometimes it's silly like that. It's not pleasurable anymore. But sometimes the things that we think will bring us pleasure, they do for a while, but it goes from being something that I wanted to now it's something that I need, and it controls me, and it's telling me what to do. Last category of things that we want that maybe aren't so good. I don't know what it is that you want, or when, or like when you've wanted different things, or what that looks like in your life. But I, I know the timeline for all of us when it comes to our wants. We want it when? Now. It's my money, and I want it now. Call J.G. Wentworth, 877-CASH-NOW. I don't know how long it's been since I've seen that commercial. Years, like a decade maybe. Doesn't matter. It will always be in my head. There are certain jingles that are just there, right? But I want it now. I want it right this moment. I want it right now. In fact, it's crazy that this happens. Again, we think we want something now. And again, buyer's remorse, whatever this looks like. There are times when we get something that we want now, only later to discover, I don't want that anymore. And here's a really hard truth of life. Now versus later, later is always longer. When there's things like, I want that when I'm 20, and later I discover I don't want that anymore, guess what? The rest of my life is a lot longer than now. And this is ultimately where, this is where regret comes from. Regret is is this thing that says, okay, there was what I wanted and what I wanted now. That's what it starts with. I want this now. And then it ends with, I wish I could go back in time and not get what I wanted. That's regret. And so it, it, the things that we want, they're tricky. They're difficult. Because like, there's all these things that I think that I want, but maybe I don't actually want these things, and they're not the best for me. And looking back, I wish I hadn't, didn't, didn't have that, didn't get that. So over the course of this series, that's kind of what we're going to explore, the things that we think that we want that maybe aren't so good. But what, what do we really want? Or maybe a better question to ask, or what are the things that we need? And we're going to kind of move into this area of talking about what is it that God wants for us? Because ultimately, I would argue, and we will over the course of the series, that those are the things that we really want. Those are the things that lead to human flourishing. And I may not have words for it or language for it, or I may, I may disagree, say, no, I don't actually want that. But then maybe later on down the line, you're like, oh, man, I really did want that. So what are, what are those things? And today, I want to just start the conversation with this idea of being careful, as we've kind of already been talking about, of the things like being, paying attention or be careful of the things that we think we actually want. Like pay attention to what our desires are and how we go about pursuing them because they oftentimes betray us. And so to explore that idea, I want to look at this passage of Scripture from the New Testament. Uh, it's from the book of James. We call James a book. Uh, it's just a letter that was written to followers of Jesus in the first century. James is written by uh, a guy by the name of James. Um, most likely, it's, it's James, the half-brother of Jesus, which is super cool because as Jesus is walking around doing his earthly ministry and healing and teaching, uh, Jesus' family, they don't, they don't have faith in him. They're not like, yeah, he's obviously the son of God because you're never going to believe that your brother is the son of God. But... After Jesus dies and raises from the dead, James is like, he's the son of God. Okay, I guess I was wrong because, you know, resurrection kind of changes your mind on things. And so James becomes a leader in the early church, and he writes a letter to Christians living in the first century. Uh, And we have that as the book of James, which is super cool. You guys, we have something that was written by the brother of Jesus. 
That is insane to think about. And we've got it, right? Um, if I could summarize James's kind of overarching message, it's a short book, it's really, really practical, into one word, it would be the word maturity. Like James's goal is saying, hey, he's writing to Christians, you know, first century, they've just started following Jesus, they're trying to figure this out. He says, you guys, we need to grow up. We need to mature a little bit. We need to progress in our faith. Here's what it looks like to kind of go from a, a baby Christian, infant Christian, just put faith in Jesus, I'm taking steps along the way in maturing. And so one of the areas that he talks about this kind of growth and this maturity, it plays out in the area of the things that we want and the way that impacts relationships. So James 4 is where we're gonna be. James chapter four, starting in verse one, James says this, what is the source of wars and fights among you? So he's gonna use this really strong language throughout the passage. And he's picturing, it's like like a battle, it's a fight, there's tension, there's conflict. Some translations uh, will say um, fights and quarrels among you. He's writing to, to Christians, to, to followers of Jesus that are trying to be in a faith community and do life together, and they keep doing this, right? They're arguing, and they're fighting, and they're, they're getting into these heated debates, and, uh, and there's just all this tension within this community of faith. And he asks the question, what's the source of that? Where is that coming from? He says, there, there, there's a war, or there's a conflict, we could say. There's a conflict among you. And he says, well, don't, he asks this kind of rhetorical question, then, don't they come, or doesn't this conflict come from your passions that wage war within you. So there's a conflict that's happening among people, but the source of it is within you. So the, the, the conflict you guys are having with each other, when we get into conflict, and, and this is just life lesson, so often the minute we get into conflict, we're mad at someone, we say, it's their fault. If they wouldn't, if he wouldn't, if she would just, then we wouldn't have any conflict. And James is saying, pump the brakes. No, it's not their fault. It's your fault and their fault because he's talking to you plurally, like to, to these people. He's like, no, 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 you can't blame your conflict on the other person. There's something that's happening inside of you. There's a conflict in you and there's a conflict in them. And when the conflict in you and the conflict of them comes out, like it's just, it's an explosion. It's, like, it's a chemical reaction that makes an explosion is what he's saying. There's a, there's a war that is waging within you. And what is the source of the war that's waging within you? He says, it's your passions, your passions or your desires, your wants. There is a war of wants among you. We're gonna, we're gonna, we don't do this often. But we're going to go a little Greek for a second. This word passions is the Greek word hedone. I think it's got the little marks above the E's like that. Um, and this is where we get the English word, maybe you can guess it already, hedonism. Hedonism is this philosophy that says the, the goal of life, the, life, the ultimate goal, the, the highest goal of life is to pursue pleasure. That life is all about your self-gratification. That at the end of the day, everything you do, everything that you think, that everything you go after, the decisions that you make, the way that you view the world, the way that you view people is all about do what brings you the most pleasure. Do what feels good. Do what makes you happy. That, that self-satisfaction is the highest purpose of life. I find so interesting about this is that like the world changes, culture changes, things have happened through history, but human nature doesn't change that much because this was 2,000 years ago. James is like, here's the problem. You guys are just going after all these, like the self-gratification that's driving every decision you make and it's, there's war within you. And here we are 2,000 years later and I'm like... I don't know about you, but yes, in my life, when it's like, when I get in common, there's conflict, I'm like, I'm not getting what I want here, okay? Like, that's the problem. This kind of self-gratification, this, this pursuit of pleasure. This is, man, this is, what, this is what we're sold all the time. 
This is what we're told. The world, this will make you happy. This will make you fulfilled. Just, you know, the highest good we are told is like self-expression, self-satisfaction, like just happiness, like go after it. You do, you do what makes you feel good. And this is what's marketed to us like crazy. You need it. You deserve it. Bigger, better, stronger, faster, whatever it is. Like you go and get this. You, it's all about you. Now, the pursuit of pleasure. Let me say this. Pleasure um, is not in and of itself a bad thing. It's actually a great thing. It's a beautiful thing. Like, if you're a Christian, like, like, think about this for a second. Sometimes we don't think about these things. Like, we're Christians, we're followers of Jesus. It's like, I believe that there is a God who loves me, who created all this, yes. Which means that I believe that there is a God who, like, who baked pleasure into creation. He didn't have to do that. You think about how, like, I said I love food. Like, you think about, like, just food. Like, how good food tastes. It's just like an explosion of flavors, and there's all these different textures and flavors, and there's spicy, and there's not spicy, and there's umami, which is a fun word to say. And there's, like, all of these flavor profiles. And it's, it's like, it doesn't have to taste good. It could have been bland. It could have been plain. Everything could have tasted the same and, and still given us nutrition, right? But God's like, nah, fam. Like, it's going to taste good. And I'm so grateful for that. Like, that's, that's pleasure. Like, the world didn't have to be beautiful to exist. We'd go outside and like, my goodness, it's beautiful. Like, I, newsflash, God made sex. Crazy, right? And he's like, I'm giving you a boundary for it. It's in the covenant context of a marriage. Like, this is what it is for. But it's like, like pleasure was God's idea. Pleasure is, is a beautiful thing in the right context. That when it becomes the highest priority of my life, when it's up here above everything else, James is like, ooh, bad things are about to happen. Bad things are about to happen. There's nothing wrong with pleasure, but when it becomes the primary driver of life, it becomes this, this, this ugly thing. This is the Apostle Paul starts uh, poking at this idea when he talks about that um, uh, God's kind of given people over who've rejected them, given them, them over to their passions and their desires, and that they've exchanged, they've, they, they're beginning to worship created things rather than the creator. I like the pleasure more than the one who gives the pleasure. This, uh, this, this word hedone actually is only used a handful of times in the New Testament. It's never used in a good way. Like Paul says in his letter to Titus, um, that people are deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, that the pursuit of pleasure will deceive us, right? It, do, it, it skews our vision of the world when that's all that we're going after us, and it enslaves us. It's no longer something that I want. I have to have this now. This is the word that uh, Jesus uses he tells this really famous parable about um, some seed that's scattered on different kinds of soil. Uh, and and this, it's like this, this picture of, okay, the word of God and the message of God and the gospel and what it's gonna do in people's life, the faith it's gonna produce in people's life. The, the, the one soil, it's, it's filled with thorns. And so the seed comes up and he says that the plants get choked out. And he says that it gets choked out by life's worries. Sometimes our faith gets choked out by like life happens and things are difficult and things are uncomfortable. But he says also, not just life's worries, but the riches and pleasures of life. Sometimes our faith gets choked out because we're just going after what feels good in the moment. And James is like, that's what you gotta look out for. And that's this, this thing that's causing war and, and turmoil within you, that your wants are at war. It's like there's this little rebel army inside of you saying, we want it, and if you don't give it to us, there will be a problem. There's, there's a war of wants, and there's a war of wants within ourselves. Because a lot of times, as we've been saying, the things that we want, we want two different things that are like polar opposites to themselves. Like I want this and I want this. And if I have this, I can't have this. And he's like, yeah, like this is what's happening. And when that happens inside of you, it spills out all around you. So he talks about this, this in this context of, you know, these Christians in their faith community. But this is, this is just true of every relationship. 
You look around at the conflict and the hatred and the, the arguments and the things that we have in culture and society, whether that's uh, just out in the world or whether that's families, whether that's workplaces, it kind of goes back to this. People aren't getting what they want. And so here we go. Why, why is there so much political hatred and division right now? Because I want this, well, I want this, and why, why, why do like, things get messy in friendships and things get messy in marriages and I can't get along with my coworkers and I can't stand my boss? Well, they want something and I want something else. And, and sometimes they're legitimate wants because you're like, but Phil, it's not just that I want something, it's that I deserve this. I worked hard, I put my time in, I'm in the right, they're in the wrong. And sometimes that's legitimate and you do deserve certain things. But even when we take that back a step further, I'm like, well, don't you want what you deserve? And so the, this thing is going on, okay? So James like, pay attention to that. The, the things that's bubbling up in you, it, it, it stems out of this idea of passions and desires and the things uh, that you want. He continues this line of thinking. He says, you desire and you do not have. You murder and you covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and you wage war. So you want things, you don't have them. You murder and you covet, still don't get them. You fight and you wage war. He's using hyperbole to, to really get our attention, right? He's not writing to a group of people that are literally going around killing people. Um, I would certainly hope not. Um, it doesn't appear to be the case. But it's this extreme language to, to highlight the danger of this. That, that where this you know, unchecked pursuit of our desires, where it leads to is death. Ultimately, like murder could be on the table. But you think about just the things in life and our lives that have the potential to be killed because we let our passions run amok. We just go after the things that we want all the time. We can kill our health, our mental, emotional, physical health. We can, we can kill a marriage. We can kill a friendship. We can kill an opportunity. We can kill a career. We can kill a reputation. We can, lots of things in our lives can die if we just let our passions run crazy. And so James is like, hey, keep an eye on the things that you want and be aware of that war that is waging within you. Now, up until this point, these first two verses, I would say it doesn't matter who you are or what you believe, like you, like you can apply that, right? Be like, okay, there's things that I want and it's a war within me and, and like it's gonna cause tension in relationships. Anybody can believe that. Now we're gonna kind of shift into the portion that's like, all right, for those of us that are Christians or followers of Jesus, James is gonna start bringing the faith component and aspect into things, all right? So, so what, here's what he says next. You don't have because you don't ask. The implication is you're not asking God. So one, one of the reasons why you have these desires that aren't being met is because you're not, you're not asking, you're not praying, but specifically, not, you don't trust that God is going to provide you with what you need. Maybe not what you want, but, but what you need. And then, that's not the only part, because it's not like, okay, sweet, I'll just go ask God and he'll give me whatever you want, whatever I want, because God is not a genie in a bottle. He's not a cosmic vending machine where it's like, get the right code and punch it in. Yeah, I got a new car, right? Like that's not, James like, no, no, no. Because not only do you not ask, but maybe you do ask when you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasure. You ask wrongly is kind of more the literal translation. You ask badly. Some translations say you ask amiss, like you're off target in the things that you're asking for. And the, the kind of clue as to what that is, is your motives are getting your own, here's our word again, pleasures met. Your, your goal here, it's like maybe you are trusting God, but it's almost like, God, you're just a stepping stone to me getting the things that I want. Can, can, can you do my bidding for me? Can you make me happy? Can you give me these things? And man, God wants much, much better for us than just what we want for ourselves. And it's like James is like, hey, listen, our wants are, often aren't what's best for us. They lead to war within us. They lead to war among us. And God wants better for you and some of the reason, I mean, like, I think we all need to hear this. Maybe some of you especially need to hear this right now. 
Is it some, one of the reasons why like we're asking, God, God, I need this, I want this, just give this to me, give this to me, give this to me. One of the reasons that we're not getting those things is because maybe God wants better for you. He's like, there's this thing that I want and I have to have it and this thing will make me happy. And he's like, it won't actually. It may temporarily satisfy and then, and then it doesn't. And then I ask again and then it satisfies and then it doesn't. And then I ask for something else and then it satisfies and then it doesn't. And then we're stuck in this want loop of like, yay, boo, yay, boo. And it's just like, God's like, no, no, no. I want to give you what will ultimately satisfy, not just temporarily satisfy. You ask with the wrong motives. Now James is going to kind of bring the hammer down. Um, he's going to get very aggressive and call them out. And so he says, you adulterous people. You're like, whoa, that took a turn. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? This is one of the most strongly worded like rebukes um, in the New Testament, like calls to repentance, where James is like, okay, I gotta, I gotta say something. Uh, he, he draws on this, this imagery that's, that's originally kind of rooted in the Old Testament, this idea of you adulterous people. Uh, in the Old Testament scripture, that the relationship between uh, God and Israel is described as like a marriage covenant. That God is the faithful one and Israel is like his bride. And, and God is faithful to Israel over and over and over and over again and they are unfaithful over and over and over and over again. And in fact, some of the Old Testament prophets use such strong language about this and they call the people out and say, Israel, you've gone a whoring. Like that's literally the language that's been used because like you've broken the faithfulness in this, this covenant. That language gets picked up in the New Testament to describe the relationship between Jesus and his church that Jesus is the faithful one. He is the groom, and we as the church, we are his bride. This is why, this is why marriage is such a big deal, because it's not just about intimacy. It's not just about relationship. It's a, it's a signpost and a pointer to an ultimate thing, the relationship and the faithfulness between Jesus and his church. And James is like basically saying, listen, y'all are cheating on Jesus, okay? You're not faithful to him. Your wants and your desires are betraying you and showing, you, showing where your allegiance truly Lies. Whoever is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Now, it's not him saying, like, you know, you shouldn't you're just, like, we get into our little Christian isolation. It's like, I don't, I'm not going to be part of the world, and I'm going to ignore anybody who's not a Christian. He's not saying that. Like, no, we're supposed to be in the world. We're supposed to love people, even people who are different and don't believe like we believe. But the idea of friendship with the world, it describes a deliberate choice to turn away from God and towards the things of the world. It's saying, like, okay, I know what God would have me do. And I know kind of what the world says is, is, is normal or good. I am intentionally choosing to move in the, the direction of the world. Friendship with the world and, and the idea of the world. Um, the New Testament talks about the world as this idea of the structures and the systems of the world. It, it's in common language, it's, we, we might say like, it's just the way things are. When you look around, you look at how the world operates, it's kind of how things are, how things operate. It's the, the underlying narrative that drives people systems, the structures, the way the world works. It's like, you, you don't want to align yourself with that, right? So he comes down really hard on them. And honestly, it's, it's hard on us and it should be. Sometimes we need a good, like, hey, get it together. Which is how hard he comes down, though, makes the next part even more beautiful. He's like, you adulterous people, you know, you turned your back on God, but he gives greater grace. He gives greater grace. 
See, this is, this is the beauty. This is, this is like Christianity. This is the gospel in a nutshell. If you are a Christian, if you're considering Christianity, like there is the, the part that says, we have issues. I have problems. I don't follow God the way I should. I blow it. I say things. I do things. I live in a way that is just wrong. And sometimes it needs to be called out. Sometimes we do that with each other in the church. Like, hey, like get it together. You're not following Jesus here. And it hurts. And it's like, ooh. But the goal is always restoration. The goal is always healing. It's bringing that relationship back together. And so James is like, listen, I've been really, really hard on you guys. I, turned, I called you a bunch of adulterers that have cheated on God, basically. But his grace is greater. doesn't matter how big you screw up. doesn't matter what you do, how much you think you've blown it, how much of a failure. You cannot, you cannot outscrew up God's grace. You cannot outsend God's love. Like he's, he is always saying, I'm willing and ready to forgive you. His grace is greater. Therefore, he says, and James quotes this proverb, this idea that carries all throughout the scripture, that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God's grace for you is greater, but God's grace always requires a response. That when you encounter the grace of God and you're like, I cannot believe you say there's grace for me, I can't just go, eh, I'm gonna keep doing it. It's like, no, like, I, I, there's a response and, and the, the proper response is the response of humility. The proper response in view of God's grace is to go, you know what? The world doesn't revolve around me. You know what? Maybe I was wrong. It's a hard thing for us to say. You know, this idea, like, you know what? Maybe what I want isn't the best thing. Maybe I should trust God in this area. It's humility. God, I'm sorry. Verse seven. Therefore, this is corny and this is cheesy and I'll say that from the front, but this is a phrase that is helpful if you'll remember it anytime you're engaging with the scripture. Anytime you come to the word therefore, you have to stop and ask the question, what's it there for? It will play on words, right? And it's like, ha, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's actually, it's very, very true because the word therefore is like this hinge statement that says, whoa, 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 pay attention. Like everything that I just said before this and everything that I just said that I'm gonna say after this, they, they, they're linked together. That what I've said before and what I'm gonna say after, what I'm about to say is in response to what I've said before. So what's he just said before? He's like, hey guys, you're fighting and you're warring and it's stemming from these desires and these wants that you have within you um, and, and it's not good and you're not trusting God. In fact, you're a bunch of adulterers, but hey, God has grace for you. In light of all of that, the way that you're failing, here is how you need to respond. Therefore, submit to God. The idea of humility again, submit to God. If, and listen, as a follower of Jesus, we look to answer the question, how to get what you really want. That's how we get what we really want. To go, okay, you know what? God, I'm submitting to you and your will and your word and your ways and your spirit working in me. There's this submission piece. How do I make sure that I even have the right wants or I can figure out what I should be pursuing and desiring in my life? Okay, I'm gonna submit to God. I'm going to trust that what he wants for me is better than what I want for me. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when I, I don't understand. Even when I don't like it. And even if it's like kicking and screaming, I am still gonna say, okay, I trust that what you want for me is better than what I want for me. Therefore, submit to God. And there's a second part of it. And re resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you've been tracking throughout the passage, we've kind of had the mention of the the unholy trifecta mentioned so far in this passage. And, and that is the world, the flesh, 
and the devil. The world, the systems, the structures. He says, don't be, don't be friends with the world. Don't go along with just kind of how the, world, how the world operates. The idea of the flesh, that's those passions that are warring within us, those desires that we have, this idea of like, there's what comes kind of natural, what I really, really want to do, this kind of, this sin-corrupted flesh of myself. And then the devil, which is this idea of spiritual, supernatural evil that there is more to just uh, what's wrong with the world than just people do bad things. There is evil and there is a ruler of that area, the, the, the prince of this dark, current dark age, the ruler of this world, the one who has authority kind of over the area of the world and the flesh is Satan, right? So the world, the flesh, the devil is this kind of unholy trifecta, but then you have kind of the counter of that, which is the kingdom of God the spirit of God and Jesus. Is it the systems and structures of the world or the ways of the kingdom of love and, and, and grace and forgiveness and justice and righteousness? Am I, am I living by what comes natural in the flesh or is it saying like, no, I'm actually going to live a supernatural life where the spirit of Jesus is empowering me to live in a different way and, and who is my ultimate authority? Is it Satan or is it King Jesus? Which one is it? And in this context of like the things that you want, the things that you desire, do the things that I want and desire in my life, do they look more like line one or line two? What are the passions and the desires within you? Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse eight, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is like, this is a promise, a beautiful promise. How, how simple is it? Hey, 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 draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Like you, you don't have to like, you're not like trying to climb up this mountain to get to God. Like the, the minute you go, okay, he's like, yes, here I am. Right, there's this, there's this embrace, there's this turning back and God says, that's all I was waiting for. Now let, let's go, let's get to know me. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And, and then James, again, using this very intense language. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded be miserable and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. You're like, dang, James, okay. But again, there's this idea, he's, he's talking about, hey, your passions and your desires and, and, and the idea that like, like your, your sinfulness and just like when you recognize that, when you see that, it should elicit this kind of response of just kind of brokenness like, oh my gosh, I'm so messed up and I blew it again. And that should drive us to action. But then he puts like the, the, the capstone on it and kind of sums things up again and ends on this beautiful high note. Humble yourselves. There it is again, humility and submission to God. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He will exalt you. That, that, that this idea of like, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to make myself low and trust that in doing that, God will be the one that lifts me up. I, I'm, go, I'm, I'm going to say, okay, God, I'm, I'm not, it's not about me, it's about you, and that's gonna, that's gonna hurt and that's gonna cost me, but I'm, I'm doing that, I'm trusting that you have more and can do more than I could ask, think, or imagine. Okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm letting go, I'm laying aside what I want so that you can give me what it is that I really want and need. What I want, I'm letting go of what I want currently and trusting that you will give me what I want ultimately. You will give me the things that will satisfy me on like the deepest level and lead me into human flourishing like, like nothing else in the world can, what I ultimately want. And as I said at the beginning, like 
Many of us don't even know what that is. What is it that I really want? What does it really mean to be human and to live into these things? We don't actually know what that is. And one of the reasons that we don't know what we ultimately want is because we spend our lives so bombarded and distracted by the things that we just want, want, not ultimately want. Like what we want now, what we want in the moment. It's like, I'm so busy, I'm so distracted. Oh, I gotta have that, and that's shiny, and that's nice, and I want those things. It's like, whoa, whoa, slow down enough to realize what, what's deeper, what really matters. And the thing is, we're almost done here. There's no place um, in society or in the world around us where you can go where they'll say, okay, let me help you discover those, those deeper things, the things that you really want. Like, you can't go anywhere and be like, can, please, please help me discover what's most important and what's true and what's beautiful and love and, and grace and joy and contentment. And things we're going to talk about in this series, right? It's like, no one's going to help us do that because that stuff is really hard to sell. <laughs> right? It's like, no, 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 no. Just be, di- hey, 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 be distracted. Look, it's shiny. It's nice. It feels great. Like, go after, go after those things. Nobody helps us to find those things. What we really want ends up being something that we rarely explore. And the world's not gonna help us to do that, but here's the great news. Jesus comes along and says, that's like exactly the area that I work in. Like the abundant life, that's my specialty. So come follow me, come listen to me, come, come take my yoke upon you, learn from me. My, my yoke is, is light and my burden is, is light. My yoke is gentle, I'm humble at heart. All those beautiful things, like that's what I have for you. Come and experience the fullness and the goodness of life. I will help you discover what you really want what you ultimately want, what will lead you into a life of flourishing. And that is where we're going to pick things up next week. And so I'd love to have you all back for part two of how to get what you really want. I'm going to pray for you all, and then the worship team's going to come back up, and we'll close with a song. So Jesus, thank you so much for loving us the way that you do. Um, God, for giving us the things that truly desire, that we, we, that we truly desire, we may, not even, we may not even know it. The things that we really want that we don't even know, that maybe we resist. God, you want to give us those good and beautiful things that lead us into a life of flourishing. Jesus, we thank you that through your life, death, and resurrection, that that kind of life and that kind of um, just fulfillment and joy and love and peace, that that can be available to us. And so, Lord, I pray that just you know, your goodness would be more and more clear to us in our lives. God, I pray through the power of your spirit that you would be doing something in us. You'd be changing us, transforming us, convicting us, making us uncomfortable and settling for less than what you have for us. Um, God, give us the, the boldness and the courage to make necessary changes and to just pursue you in every area of life. God, help us to trust you when it's hard, when it's difficult, when we don't understand. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.